0: Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook: Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. Support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. Always free to enroll. Get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, purchase a class or 12 or 15 there. Help keep this podcast free of charge. You get great content. And, of course, you help support this show. You can also buy one of my books. You can go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books a Million. I've got several. The Jeffersonian Tradition and Southern Scribblings are my latest books in the last two years. And you can pick those up there. They make great Christmas gifts, as does McClanahan Academy. It's never out of stock. The books, I don't know. I've seen there's paper shortages or some other thing. But anyways, get the books, though, too. They're great. Also, click on that shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. Go to Learn True, T-R-U-E, History.com. That's my affiliate link for Tom Woods over to Classroom. Click on that support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can throw a few pennies my way. You can get a book plate if you want. Go to anchor.fm. You can support the show there. All of these ways are great ways to support the show financially. And as always, share the podcast around on social media. Rate it wherever you get your podcasts. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. The great thing about podcasting, by the way, is that you do support what you want to hear, right? So uh, this podcast exists for you, and you support it. You purchase the shows, and you do the things that you want to do, right? You you give financial support. If you don't want to support it, you don't. You don't want to send any money, that's fine. But by purchasing things from people that you support, that's always a way to keep them doing these things that you like. And so let's talk about elections again today. We, we talked about the 2021 Virginia election, November 2nd election, yesterday. And I want to talk about a piece that was uh, printed in Chronicles magazine uh, by uh, Emil uh, Doke. Easy to Vote, Easy to Cheat. This uh, is a great piece because I think it, again, it, it highlights what the real issue is here moving forward. You see, we've accepted so many progressive mantras. We've accepted so much of the Proposition Nation. We accept it all. This is what conservatives do. They essentially are conserving the left. We've accepted all of that stuff, that we really don't conserve anything anymore. We're only conserving the left. Now, at the end of this week, I'm going to talk about the election of 1800. I'm going to do it on Thursday of this week. But I'm, I'm going to talk about it in a way where we get into, again, the core of American conservatism. I'm going to do it by reading the best book that's ever been written on this particular period of time. And it's I'll I'll talk about it on, on Thursday. But that said, when you accept leftist mantras, you're not conserving anything and you're undermining your entire position. It's the same thing as I mentioned with yesterday with Youngkin and how conservatives really shouldn't be that excited about young Glenn Youngkin, nor should they think anything as much is going to change as so well. The Republican Party is a stupid party. What really happened there is people didn't like being called names, so they voted the people that called them names out of office, but they're still going to support the stuff that got them to be called the names, because you see, this is what they do. They don't realize that that's still going to be there. It's all there. None of it's gone away. The only way it goes away is if you break that cycle. This is where you have to get in the school boards. This is where you have to get down to the base level, the city city councils, the county commissions, the school boards. Heck, even in your homeowners association. Get into those things. This is what the progressives actually did back in the 19th and early 20th century. They got involved in the Rotary Club. And the local Republican and Democrat parties. And they changed the nature of the parties. They started working within these things. And they changed how we thought about American politics, about American society. This is what they did. And of course, you can tune out some of the other stuff too and not listen to it. But I don't ever listen to MSNBC or CNN. I do read some of the other side or read the opposition because I want to see what they're thinking. I mean, I, it always, you know, sharpens your pencil, so to speak. You always want to read what they're saying about things. But, and we're going to talk about that tomorrow with the opposition because their their positions are so easy to tear apart. But I like this piece because Doke actually gets into some pretty important things in what he says. So, so first of all, He says, peruse left-wing media reports and Twitter trends, and one will discover that claims that Trump won are labeled as misinformation. Polling numbers, however, show that many Americans hold exactly the opposite view and think that Biden's claim to the presidency is questionable. This is true. I mean, he's just pointing something out. Yes, there's a lot of people that think that there's a lot of circum... And I said this yesterday, a lot of evidence that shows, well, maybe this isn't really on the up and up. I mean, I generally Americans are suspicious about these things. And why? Why are they suspicious about it? Because they know that, eh, I mean, some of the ways that voting took place in 2020, you wouldn't say that's really secure voting. So it opens up the opportunity for cheating. Fraud, right? This is something I i mean, I was joking uh, when the Atlanta Braves won the, the World Series. I said, you know, but the Braves winning. Georgia has now smacked down cheaters twice in 2021 because you know, the Houston Astros are the team that cheated and now uh, in, in Georgia passed laws that supposedly are going to restrict cheating. We, fraud, potential for fraud. We don't know if it's going to actually work that way. This is the whole point of voter ID. Show an ID and you can vote. And the reason that people don't want that is because... <laughs> They want to leave it open to fraud. I mean, this it's it's so obvious. But they'll I mean they make people feel bad. Well, you just believe in Jim Crow, you just believe in segregation, you believe in 1950 style voter suppression. All of the people that say that, Governor Abrams, when she says that is simply engaging in LARP. She's LARPing. This is live-action role-play. This is what they're doing. They're LARPing. They believe they're still living in the 1950s and 60s, and we've got water cannons on TV and dogs, and we've got Bull Connor out there pulling people off a bus and burning a bus. This is what we've got going on. Of course, none of that is happening. None of it's happening. I'll never forget, there was a very funny, funny image of a Democrat congresswoman Saying we're still fighting, the people are still being suppressed, and you know it's this is true. We got to, and then they put. Is this you? She's out there showing that she voted. Is that you? I mean, so if there's really voter suppression, then what's going on here? Is that you? Did you just vote? You see, if you want to vote in America, you can vote. I mean, there's no one stopping you. There's no one saying you can't vote because of your race. You can't vote because uh, if you're male or female, you can vote. You can't vote if you're under 18, but even this piece gets into that. So he continues Underlying such contention is the thorny question of who is and who is not eligible to participate in the political life via the ballot box. Unfortunately, America's media and public intellectuals seem determined to place this question outside the limits of proper debate. Meanwhile, conservatives bark up the wrong tree when seeking to restore election integrity, employing cognitive dissonance in their slogans regarding the issue. If conservatives hope to reclaim constitutional government, they must address this flawed approach and seek a different path. I agree. Doke is 100% correct here. Also, we need to think about this with the proposition nation everything. Conservatives aren't really conserving anything. The 2020 presidential election was always going to be strange. The COVID-19 lockdowns provided the occasion for a dramatic expansion of early and absentee voting. Whether this shift was opportunistic or necessary, it set the stage for a chaotic election night. With an unprecedented volume of alternative voting mechanisms at work, it was hardly surprising that results were reported in an irregular manner. Tens of millions of Americans, though, didn't buy the results. According to polling taken by The Economist shortly after President Biden was declared the winner in November 2020, a full 42% of Americans believed that Biden did not legitimately win the election. The sentiment was hardly limited to committed partisans. 37% of the skeptics were self-described moderates. These are alarming statistics regardless of what one believes about the 2020 election. A republic in which nearly half of its citizens don't accept the legitimacy of the declared winner of the highest office in the land is in big trouble. Look, I agree. Legitimacy is key though. This idea of legitimacy. Who is legitimate? That is a very important thing to understand when it comes to elections. And We're always going to have this issue. We just buy it, right? The person that won this, that's the illegitimate winner. But who is the legitimate government? You could get into all this and where we talk about legitimacy. For example, was the Continental Congress in 1775 legitimate? Well, it was to the people in the American colonies, but it was not to the British. But, of course, they elected those people in the colonies, sent them there. But it was not to the British. It's not a legitimate government at all. So legitimacy is in the eye of the beholder, right? Because we have half the population or so saying that's legitimate government. This is it. This is what they do. And because we comply through threat of force, whether it's legal force or physical force, we comply with it, then it becomes legitimate. Compounding the problem is that these public opinion statistics do little to resolve questions about the legitimacy of the 2020 election. Indeed, the declaration of a Biden win soon after election night may have rendered a factual assessment of the results impossible. Trump and his supporters would inevitably call for an audit, and the public had been told by the media for years that the president's deplorable base would not accept the election results. The narrative was set, and both sides entrenched, uninterested in entertaining another point of view. The standard Republican response to the current situation has been to double down on election integrity. These two buzzwords have been taken up by the organs of official conservatism, GOP campaigns, think tanks, talk radio, and more, and now rival phrases like strong national defense and free markets and rhetorical importance. It seems to be an innocuous position. Who could be against integrity in elections? But there is a fatal flaw in how conservatism tries to bring about election integrity. The America First Policy Institute exemplifies this dominant approach. The AFPI, the official think tank for the MAGA movement, created after the end of the Trump administration, and its principal members have a dubious record in defending the priorities of the American First movement that supported former President Trump, not least in calling for immigration reform. But on election integrity, AFPI rushed to the front lines. The organization features a Center for Election Integrity, chaired by Ken Blackwell, Ohio's former Secretary of State. Quote, "...America is an idea, and it is a promise that the individual matters." Blackwell says in a slickly produced video introducing the center. We want to make it easy to vote, but hard to cheat. That statement, easy to vote, hard to cheat, has become the center's tagline. Now, let me back up to his quote. America is an idea. You see, from the beginning, these people are full of it. America is not an idea. never has been an idea. It's always been a concrete thing. There's no idea here. But see, this is where the conservatives are operating from. It's why all of this is so stupid. If America is an idea, then the left wins. If America is an idea, then you should have open... Ele- I mean, everything should just be easy to vote. It should just be easy to vote. And when he says easy to vote, I mean, Doke brings this up. What does, he actually, what does this actually mean by easy to vote? And is that the same thing as hard to cheat? Can you have both? Not really. And if America is an idea, then the people that wrote the 1619 Project, in fact, are correct. The people that champion critical race theory, in fact, are correct. They're all correct. If it's an idea, and this is what all these people believe, then they're correct. This tagline was rolled out in the wake of Georgia's voting controversy earlier this year. The state's election integrity act of 2021 implemented important but banal voting regulations, most of which exist in some form in other states, requiring voter ID, expanding early in-person voting, and reducing the calendar window to request absentee ballots. Despite the mundane nature of these regulations, the media quickly launched a firestorm of protest. Corporate America, led most famously by Delta, Coca-Cola, and Major League Baseball, condemned as racist Georgia's election integrity regulations. In protest, the MLB all, all moved its all-star game to Colorado, a state which also requires an ID to vote, but which has a Democratic governor. President Biden, not one for subtleties, labeled the law Jim Crow for the 21st century. And this is how stupid this stuff was. And I think people are tired of that nonsense. That's what led to Glenn Youngkin's victory. People don't want to be told this. If none of that had happened, this, uh, white suburban voters in Virginia... college-educated women still would have voted for Terry McAuliffe. If he hadn't gone out and said, look, you don't have control over your children. Oh, heck, if I don't, you're just not going to tell me that I don't have control over my children. I have control over my children. I'll show you what kind of control over my children I have, but you can teach them whatever you want. I'll still send them to the public school. Georgia's Republican Governor Brian Kemp, who seemed genuinely puzzled by the backlash, took to a Fox News radio program to defend his law, saying, the bill makes it easy to vote, hard to cheat. Kemp reiterated this his message at a press conference several days later in response to the MLB moving the All-Star Game from Atlanta, explaining that there are reasons for seeking more secure and accessible elections. Texas Republicans joined Governor Kemp in murmuring the easy-to-vote, hard-to-cheat mantra when Texas became the latest state to pass an election integrity law in August. But while it's a pithy soundbite, few seem to accept the slogan's formula. Perhaps that is because the statements two assertions necessarily come into conflict. I agree, right? I mean, I agree. There are many ways to make voting easier. Officials could, for example, dramatically increase the number of polling stations, eliminate the need for volunteers by keeping stations unstaffed, and simply have voters drop off ballots at their convenience. They could eliminate voter registration altogether, and they could move elections entirely online and allow voting from home. These proposals if implemented would certainly make voting easy. And all of this stuff is on the table by the way. These are not just far-fetched things. This is what the progressives want. We all know that when you just vote when you if you had cell phone voting for example, there'd be no way to manipulate those elections at all. It would all be on the up and up fair. We all know that. We all know that if people were just go in, you can drop off your ballots. Uh, <laughs> There would be no cheating, right? I mean, we know because when people are allowed and they have no supervision over these things, they don't cheat at all. We know, we know that happens. I mean, if you're told to take an online test and there's no proctoring there, you're not going to open your notes and look around and see what you can find. We know that's not the case. We know that's not the case. Of course, we do know that is the case. We know that cheating is a pandemic in America. We know that in colleges and universities, it's a pandemic. That's a real pandemic where people are cheating on just about everything now. They don't learn anything. They just cheat their way through because it's all about the grade. It's all about the end result. You see, if you're told that does not it's just about the A or the B, then it doesn't matter if it's just about Biden or Harris or Youngkin or McAuliffe. It doesn't matter how you get there. You just get there. You get the power, and the A or the B is the power, so then the politician's now the power, too. Dote continues, But these other easy fixes also make it easier to cheat. The 2020 election saw an unprecedented number of votes cast early and by absentee ballot. Whether or not one believes the allegations of widespread fraud, it must be recognized that expanding the methods available to vote will always expand the possibility of fraud, even the Democrats who talked about election security in Georgia, Jimmy Carter among them, said that mail-in voting was a recipe for disaster, a recipe for fraud. You don't do it. You have people show up to the poll, this is how we've always done it, and you vote. One person, one vote. Either Americans place reasonable but stringent restrictions on how their elections are conducted, Well, they must accept the likelihood that increased fraud will play into the election system. I think he's correct about this. Either you have a very hard-to-vote system, reasonable but stringent, make it hard, or you have to accept there's going to be fraud, and you just live with it. Either you have a proctored exam for everything, or you have to accept that people are going to cheat. Right? I mean, you just have to live with it. A better question to ask is one that recognizes the trade-off. Should we make it easier to vote or harder to cheat? Herein lies the problem with current debates over voter fraud and election integrity. The 2020 election revealed a regime in which competing ideas exist about the nature of the American republic and who should participate in its political life, especially via voting. This question has been the subject of intense debate throughout America's history. It's a history that has seen the expansion of the franchise to ever more people, often as a necessary corrective to the unjust racial discrimination that once abounded in American life. But this reality has also fed the narrative that any restrictions on voting must be inherently bigoted. If Americans can find a way forward in preserving constitutional government, they must be willing to reject this egalitarian impulse that has taken hold of public life. They have to reject the Proposition Nation. right? They have to do it. And they have to accept that voting really is a privilege. It's not a right, it's a privilege. You don't have a right to vote, you have a privilege of voting. And we as a society should be able to determine people who can vote and who can't vote. Do you have skin in the game? Do you not have skin in the game? What is I mean, what is going on here? I mean, it used to be there are always, this is why they thought, well, if you don't have any skin in the game then you shouldn't be able to vote. There's nothing bigoted about placing reasonable limits on the franchise. America still excludes, for the time being at least, from its elections, non-citizens, those under age 18, and convicted felons. An example of this problem arose during the summer when J.D. Vance, candidate for U.S. Senate in Ohio, floated an unorthodox proposal about voting. Quote, Let's give votes to all children in this, in this country, but let's give control of those votes to the parents of those children. Anticipating media condemnation, Vance doubled down, adding, Quote, I'm sure the Atlantic and the Washington Post and all the usual suspects will criticize me about this in the coming days. Well, doesn't this mean that non-parents don't have as much vo- of a voice as parents? Doesn't this mean that parents get a bigger say in how our democracy functions? Yes, absolutely, he said. Given the contested election results of 2020, Vance knew that any suggestion about how to restructure the franchise would bring vitriolic denunciation, and he was right. New York Magazine published a quick response under an ominous tag reading, VOTER SUPPRESSION! in which columnist Ed Kilgore attempted to paint Vance's suggestion as an example of an idea that has long been popular on the right, that we have too many voters who cast their ballots the wrong way. Kilgore wrote, If suppressing the votes of the wrong people doesn't go far enough, enhancing the votes of the right people could be another option. That was the underlying logic, so to speak, of Ohio Senate candidate J.D. Vance's suggestion at a conservative conference over the weekend. Now, what's interesting about that is John Stuart Mill, who was a champion of the progressives, actually said that certain people should get more votes than others. This is his position. That educated people should get more votes than other people. Because they know more. So, I mean, this idea that we'd have, you know, the the way we structure voting now, I mean, it's open to interpretation. Always has been. And we've seen, for example, in the Virginia Constitutional Convention and talking about extending the franchise, there was a lot of opposition to it there. The media establishment is too eager to endorse an expansion of the franchise, often under the assumption that those groups they wish to empower share the media's political preferences. But suggestions that could minimize the political power of some groups or which might place reasonable restrictions on the exercise of the franchise such as election integrity laws, are deemed out-of-bounds, anti-democratic, or outright malicious. And I'll talk about this tomorrow. There is hope, though, among Republican voters. A recent Pew Research Center survey showed that two-thirds of Republicans say voting is a privilege that comes with responsibilities that can be limited, rather than a fundamental right for every U.S. citizen that should not be restricted. America's founders would have sided with the former view. Voter turnout among the eligible population stayed far below 50% well into the 19th century, and these rates were hardly met with the same well-funded, star-studded get-out-vote campaigns seen today. So, but if you look at this Pew Research Center, fifty-seven percent total believe that voting is a fundamental right. So, almost two-thirds of Americans believe that voting is a fundamental right. But regardless, I mean, there is a position out there that you know we should have some kind of restrictions. We should make it. Challenging to vote in the extent that you can't cheat. Not challenging to vote where we're gonna make it to where you gotta go, you know, a long distance to vote, or these should make it challenging to vote in that you can't cheat. It used to be people don't realize this, but there was no secret ballot. You went up to vote and you said, I support candidate A or I support candidate B, and it was a big deal. You voted openly. Secret ballot is something that came about later. It is important to recognize that GOP leaders may have more in common with the media that denounce them than with the voters whom they purport to serve. Reasonable restrictions on the privilege of voting are needed to make elections more honest. As seen in Georgia, no amount of sloganeering about it making easy to vote will prevent those advocating restrictions from being condemned by the left as promoters of modern-day Jim Crow. Most voters who support voter identification laws think differently. But for the elites of both parties being called racist, stings, and must be avoided at all costs. This is important, right? I've said this before. It doesn't matter what you do, you're going to be called these names anyway. It doesn't really matter what you do or what you say. You're going to be called these names. This is what the reaction was to McCulloch. These voters in Northern Virginia didn't like being called the names, so they got rid of the people that called them names while still supporting the things that get them called the names. We have to have a fundamental cultural shift in America, and I don't know when that's going to happen. It is still possible to restore constitutional government. Many American voters have a better handle on the nature of the republic and voting's place therein than professional politicians or the mainstream media. If they wish to avoid cheating, then the right to vote cannot be freely handed out to anyone who submits a ballot. Now, people would look at this and, I mean, oh my gosh, you're saying you got to have restrictions. You're going to restrict people. You're going to do it because you don't like people. You don't want people voting. I mean, this is what the, the, the quote was. From Kilgore. You just don't want people voting. I mean, I think the left would say the exact same thing. They don't want people on the right voting. You don't ever want the opposition voting. You want as many of your people voting as you can. I mean, this is what happens ultimately. This is why Calhoun was insistent on some type of check for the minority, but never got it. All right. Well, I thought this piece was really good, and I wanted to cover it, uh, and so hope you enjoyed it. Um, I, I think that it's essential to think about these ideas, these things, in this context. You know, we have, we have to talk about who should vote, who shouldn't vote, or may, I mean, should we have some type of test for voting? I mean, these are things that we can always discuss. Who should be able to vote? Who can't vote? Because there is much at stake in voting. It's power and money. There's a lot of money involved. And who gets to control what? I mean, these are big questions. And we shouldn't take these things so lightly. Anyways, uh, whether those issues are ever resolved or not, I don't know. But this is something that if you believe in the Proposition Nation, you're always going to lose. Because the other side always has the intellectual fuel then. I'll see you tomorrow on The Brian McClanehan Show. See you then.